Our reading tonight comes from 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 6, and it's on page 1160 in the New Church Bible, and in the Large Print Bible, page 1755. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in compassion, in in comparison with the surpassing glory. Now if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Christ's sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ.
Amen. Just a word of prayer. Lord, give us a word for our hearts this evening and give us a heart for your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you think this picture looks anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. Holman Hunt was an English artist and he painted several pictures of the Lord Jesus. This is not the most famous of them, which is the light of the world. This one hangs in Manchester Art Gallery. It was his idea, or one of his ideas, of what Jesus looked like. But he could be completely wrong, because we don't know what Jesus looked like. There was no sketch made, no portrait painted, certainly no photograph taken, and the Bible doesn't give us a physical description of whether he was tall or short, whether his colouring was fair or dark. Probably he had black hair, as most people born in that part of the world do. But when we ask ourselves about being Christ-like, we're not thinking about what Jesus looked like, but what he lived like. Tonight I've been asked to speak on the power of Christ-like character. You may wonder why that's been uh, my agenda for this evening. Well, it's because of this. This is the uh, sermon outline for last year, and the observant will notice that the pastors have not kept strictly to the subjects they were given. Uh, certainly this one should have been preached on on December the 7th. I don't know who was preaching that evening, but he didn't do the power of Christ-like character, and so I've been asked to do it uh, tonight. Now, I don't like being given a subject to speak about. I like being given a text to speak about. So I had to search my Bible and say, which text am I going to use in order to preach about this subject and I found myself coming to 2 Corinthians 3.18 and there it is in front of you we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit it's quite a complicated text so in bold face, I've picked out what we'll say is the centre of the teaching of this text. We are being transformed into his image. We are being transformed into his image. You bored already? Complicated sermon. Doesn't want to speak on a subject. Has to look for a text. Doesn't seem to be very striking and significant for me on this cold and damp and dark evening. Well, I'm going to start by saying why we all need to be like Christ and that this really does matter to every one of us here. If you don't think this matters, you're not going to listening, be listening. And I think it matters, and I'm going to give you three reasons why I think it matters before we actually come to the text. This is not the introduction, but this is saying why it's important that we do know 
how to be Christ-like and want to be Christ-like. So here's the first reason. It's the only way to serve God's purpose for us. Have you ever thought, why am I here? Why did God bring me into the world? What does he want me to do? Well, most people around, if they believe in God and say God has brought me here, will imagine that it has something to do with their having a good time. The more sophisticated will talk about uh, uh, finding the meaning of their life and fulfilling their purpose. And for many people, it's just a matter of how I can get as much fun out of life before it all comes to an end. But God has a purpose for the whole world. He didn't make the world for nothing. He didn't make people for nothing. He is a God of great wisdom, and so he has a purpose why he made us. And the reason why he made us is so that we might be like Christ. You needn't look this up, but in Ephesians 1 verse 4, Paul says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Jesus was holy, Jesus was blameless, and we were chosen in Christ to be like Christ. The very reason why we're here, the reason why we're part of this world by his grace, part of his church, is that we may be made like Jesus. He adopted us into his family so that we might be like his own dear son. So if you want to know why you should be interested in this, God is interested in it. That's why he made you. The second reason is that this is the only way in which we can demonstrate God's power and show what kind of God he is. Now very often when we have baptisms we have people telling us about their experience of God, how they came to know the Lord and it's often helpful isn't it, to see what they used to be and what they are now. One of the books I was given for Christmas is a biography of a Christian pastor. And it's been fascinating to read how although he was brought up in a Christian home, he was so wayward and he became dissolute, he became a godless man, and then God met him. Do you know how God met him? He was a soldier in the First World War. He was sitting there telling a dirty joke to another prisoner, to another soldier, and all of a sudden a piece of shrapnel killed that man dead. And the man who was later become a Christian pastor said it struck him. That could have been me. And so he was changed dramatically. It's great to see the change that conversion means. But that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning because God has chosen us to be like Christ and he's going to make progress in bringing us more and more to the likeness of Jesus Christ, not to show how clever we are, not to show how holy we are, not to show how religious we are, but to show how powerful he is, that he can make saints out of sinners. He can transform someone who lived however desolate or dissolute a life and make them like the Lord Jesus. So that other people will look and say, that person is a Christian. I can see Christ in them. The glory 
is given to God because making us like Christ is his work and it demonstrates to the world who says there isn't a God, there is a God. Look at how he can change lives. Look at how he can do that. That's the second reason. But the third reason why it matters is perhaps even more important. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way to get to heaven. Heaven is a place of holiness for holy people. There is no sin in heaven and there are no sinners in heaven. The only people who are in heaven are people who are like Jesus Christ. The work of making us like Jesus Christ is a life's work here. It won't be complete and perfect in this world, but it will be in the world to come. Let me read to you from John's letter. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When Jesus comes back, we shall be like him. So here's a very important warning to us. Unless we are Christ-like, unless we're interested in becoming Christ-like, unless we see this is God's purpose for us, then we're not going to be in heaven. And my friends, that is the most serious thing. This man I was reading about in his story, when he saw this man next to him, who was killed instantly, not only did he say, that could have been me, he said, if it had been me, I'd have gone to hell today. The Bible gives us two alternatives, doesn't it? We either spend eternity in the blessedness of the holy presence of God in heaven, or we suffer in eternity with the devil and his angels. I'm interested in this subject of being more Christ-like because I want to go to heaven. And so should you be. So, how can it happen? How can we become Christ-like? So we now come to our text and we see what the text has to say. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And the first thing to say about this text is it says, it is the work not of us, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's his spirit who does this. What does the text say? It says, We who with unveiled faces all contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It's the spirit of God. Theologians like to have long words about everything and the word that they have for this is called sanctification. And sanctification is just a clever word for meaning being made holy, as it's called here, being transformed. 
Now this chapter is not an easy chapter, that's why we didn't read from the beginning of chapter 3. It's a chapter about the kind of transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What God did in the old days and what he was doing now in the New Testament days. And the contrast that Paul writes about here is the contrast of reading the Old Testament in the covenant that God had with Israel and now the new covenant with Jesus Christ. And he says the difference is the work of the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And verse 16 says the difference is when anyone turns to the Lord. He says in the Old Testament, it's as if God's light was shining very brightly, but people were blind, and they couldn't see it. It's like having a veil over their faces. Now he said when the Holy Spirit comes, all of a sudden the lights go on, and we can see things. Now, if you're a Christian, you can probably remember times in your life when the Bible was uh, a mystery to you, and when even if you try to read it, you can make a lot of sense of it. And there are plenty of people when they begin to read the Bible, however many helps they have, they say, it doesn't make any sense to me. But then, sometimes gradually, and sometimes instantly, the Holy Spirit gives them the light to see and understand who God is. We read to chapter 4 and verse 6 for this reason. It says here, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm sorry I'm still reading from the old-fashioned NIV. I really must get myself up to date and get the Bible that some of you are looking at. But uh, I didn't uh, bring that one with me tonight. And so I'm sorry, sometimes the, the quotations aren't exactly as they are in front of you. Now what's this about? It's saying that it's not because we were clever in working us out, it wasn't because we were religious in earning it, it was because God in his grace and in his mercy said, let there be light. And that light was in our hearts to show us God in Christ by his Holy Spirit. Now we're so thankful when we do know him that we want to respond to him, as we were just reminded in the the singing of these songs. We now want to change. And so we come to the fact that it's not just the work of the Spirit, it is the gradual work of the Holy Spirit. The actual words of our text contain a rather complex Greek word, which is translated here, are being transformed. Those of you who paid attention during your uh, English lessons at school will know that that is in the passive voice. That means it's something which is happening to us. Not something we are doing, but something that is being done to us. It's the Holy Spirit who is transforming us. He is doing the changing. We are the ones who are being changed. But you'll also see that it's in a continuous tense. It's not something that happens suddenly, all at once. It's something which goes on gradually throughout our lives. We are being changed. We are being transformed. Now, I know that some of you will tell me, 
that you went to a particular meeting one day and God spoke to you and you've never been the same again. There may be some crisis in our sanctification. There may be some uh, effect of an event in our lives that gives us uh, new insights. There may be uh, reading a book that someone has recommended to us and we find that brings us farther on along the road. But it's not, not something which we can ever say has finished now. Paul says it's not that we have achieved, not that we are perfect, but we are going on. We are going on being changed. And so there's no place for complacency, but there is room to grow. The third way in which we can become like Christ from this text is it's the work of the Spirit in pointing us to Christ. That's what his ministry is, to point us to Christ. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are looking at the Lord Jesus. We are considering him. And he is the one who shows us what God is like. That's what chapter 4 and verse 6 says. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If we want to be more holy, then we need to know more about Christ. The version I'm reading doesn't say contemplate, it says reflect. And that's because in another part of his letter, in the first letter, the Apostle Paul speaks about our seeing in a poor reflection as in a mirror but then, one day, we shall see him face to face. At the moment, we don't see Jesus Christ face to face, as his friends did, as his disciples did. We see him reflected in the mirror of the Bible. Why is it called, then, uh, a poor reflection? Isn't it uh, a clear revelation we have here? Well, in those days, you know, mirrors weren't made of glass. Glass production had not developed as much then as it has now most mirrors were made of metal and because they were made of metal they didn't have such a clear reflection as you would have if you were looking into water if you were looking into glass we then see here not as well as we will do one day because we are seeing Jesus in the Bible one day we shall see him face to face but now we have the privilege of looking into the Bible and finding more of Jesus so that we can imitate him, so that we can be more like his character. That's what it means to become like Christ. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the gradual work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in pointing us to Christ. So now the application. Now we say to ourselves, what must we do now to make progress in this. What can we do now about it? And this is an urgent matter. The first thing we must do is always look for Christ whenever we open the Bible. Always look for Christ whenever we open the Bible. Whether we are reading it, whether we are listening to it, whether we are hearing it, 
whether we are the people who are searching it and studying it, our appetite must be to say, what is there here about Jesus? And the Old Testament is full of Jesus. He himself said so when he took those disciples and began to open the scriptures to them and show them in the scriptures the things concerning himself, it was the Old Testament he had. Some of the old writers used to speak about the Lord Jesus being a model of a prophet and a priest and a king. They're Old Testament characters, aren't they? How is Jesus like a prophet then? How is he like a priest? How is he like a thing? A king. When we read the Old Testament, we should be looking for those things. Some of the things in the Old Testament are very easily applied to him. And some of the prophecies like Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, these passages speak so clearly of the Lord Jesus. But when we come to the New Testament then, because we have the Gospels, we have the stories there, we're going to be looking at the I Am sections in John's Gospel. They're about Jesus Christ, the letters open to us how the early church thought and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, it's because of this that the book of Acts says that at Antioch, disciples were first called Christians. Why was that? Because they were like Christ. So if we want to know what we should do, about becoming more Christ-like, the first thing we must do is to be looking for Christ. And this word contemplate means not just to read it and notice it, but to think about it and to think about him. What kind of person is he? How did he live? How did he react? What were the ways in which he showed us how to imitate him and adopt attitudes like his? But when we do see what Jesus is like, we start seeing how unlike him we are. So the next thing we have to acknowledge here is if we want to be like Christ, we must be ready for our sin to be exposed. There is no painless way of making progress in sanctification. It's a battle because... We don't like being changed. We like cosy, stay as I am, be as I've always been lives. But once we start looking at Jesus, we begin to see how unlike him we are. I want to pick out just three particulars here. Three ways in which our sin is exposed. You see, Jesus had an eternal perspective on everything. When he looked at people, he thought about their eternal destiny. When he thought about the future, he didn't think about next week, he thought about eternity. When he started to preach, the very first things he started to preach about, when we read in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, this is what we read. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, to get rid of the Romans? No. The time has come, he said, to solve all these social problems of our generation? No. The time has come because the kingdom of God is near. Repent from sin and believe the good news. Jesus 
had an eternal perspective on everything. Now, my friends, we're not like that. We've got our jobs to go to. We've got our families to be concerned about. We've got to think about getting back into the routine after Christmas. We've got so many things on our minds. And it's very hard for us always to be saying, what is the eternal perspective on this? But Jesus always did. Even when there was a man coming to him who was paralyzed and they brought him to Jesus. Jesus said, the first thing you need, my friend, is to have your sins forgiven. Jesus is concerned for eternity all the time. And we're not. And if we put anything in the place of God, in the place of his purpose, in the place of his plan for my life, that's sin. And the more we think of how perfect Jesus is, the more we see how imperfect we are. Here's another example. His moral purity. His enemies could find no fault in him. But not only did he tell no white lies, not only was there no deceit in him, not only was there no bad thoughts going through his head, not only did he resist all temptations, but he also did everything right. It's not merely that he didn't do things wrong. He did everything right. Now, the more I think about that, the more I shrink and realize how unlike Jesus I am. Because we are imperfect yet. There's still much, much more to be done in our lives. And my friends, I'm not going to stand here and say this evening, you've all got to take notice of this. I've got to say, I've got to take notice of this. If I'm earnest and real about this, I have to say, how does this apply to me? What is my sin that needs yet to be dealt with? Here's another example from the Lord Jesus. When you think about him, what do you think of? You think of his selfless love, don't you? You think of the fact that he was willing to do anything for us and willing to live for us and willing to die for us. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here who has had a loved one who lost their lives in the war. But I have become a bit fed up in recent weeks with all this about the soldiers who gave themselves willingly to die. Most of the people in the war who died hated the idea of doing it. They would have done anything rather than be on the front. Jesus died because he came to do it because he loved us. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, the Bible says. Now, how hard we find it to be just a little bit more like Jesus in self-denial. How hard we find it to lay aside our own affairs, our own pride, our own interest, and say, I'll put the interests of other people first. But the more we look at Jesus, the more we see the outpouring of his selfless love. Can't you see? If we're earnest about being more like Jesus, we've got to be expect, expect for our sin to be exposed. 
but there's one third thing we must do here and that is we must ask the Holy Spirit to change us that's what it's about isn't it it says the transforming the changing is the work of the Spirit it isn't something that we can do ourselves if we try to do it ourselves we fail so often although it is our duty although it is our obligation we have no power to make ourselves holy how thankful we are then that this chapter is all about what God the Spirit does it's the Spirit of the Lord who does this he is the one who gives this freedom we're reading about here freedom from our self-interest freedom from our sin freedom from the domination of the devil in all our thinking and all our ways it's his power it's his purity it's his love you see the devil stands in our way but Jesus has defeated him and it's the spirit of God who now brings us that freedom verse 17 the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom that's the freedom that we need and God in his grace and kindness gives us his spirit to do this work in our lives only by his grace but yes sufficiently in his grace when I was in Bible college we had a Church of England minister who was one of our tutors when you're in your 20s you think anybody who's a little bit older is about 70 or 80 well he was probably in his early 60s when I knew him he was coming towards the end of his ministry his name was Owen Thomas I didn't have a great deal to do with him because he was the choir master and that was never something I was involved in but he did he did do some teaching for us and he told us something today with, uh, one day which I've never forgotten he said when I was a young Christian he said I used to love reading the epistles he said I wanted to get myself into the letter to the Romans I wanted to see how this theology of God's purpose and predestination worked out and he said I was there in the epistle he said the longer I go on in the Christian life the more I find myself reading the Gospels why that's the easy bit we thought what, what's he talking on about well he said in the Gospels I can spend time with Jesus I can see the kind of person that he was I can see what he's like how he was thinking how he was relating to people how he was teaching how he was loving and you know that's what the Bible tells us to do behold the lamb consider him contemplate him we're told if you want to serve God's purpose if you want to display his power if you want to go to heaven there are three things that we must do first we must look into the Bible and search for Jesus and not be satisfied until we see more of how we can imitate him the second thing we've got to do is to make this a real priority this will not happen automatically this won't happen because you hear a message about it 
can I suggest that this week we just spend some time saying, how can I be more like Jesus? What needs to change in my life? And the third thing is then to ask the Holy Spirit to show you in particular what it means for you and what it means for me. Because being more like Jesus is the way in which we can fulfill the plan he had for our lives and the one assurance that we will go to heaven. Amen. I want you to open your Bible at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Almost at the end of this letter... This is what Paul writes, verse 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is a prayer of Paul for the sanctification of the Thessalonian Christians. We're going to pray now, and we're going to pray through this prayer clause by clause. I'm going to read a clause, and then say a little bit about what it has to do with our subject. And that's how we're going to pray. First of all, may God himself, the God of peace. Now it's prayer, and so it's prayer to God. It's about what God will do. But why is he called here the God of peace? Well, it's because the Christian life and being made more holy is a battle. But it's a battle that will end. Peace is the end of the war. And so he's praying for the end of the war. He's praying that all that the sin and the devil and the world throws at us will come to an end. However tough and painful and long. Are you feeling that? Is there somebody you know who is going through that at the moment? Let's just spend a moment bringing our battles to God because he's the God of peace who will bring them to a close. Lord, we don't come to anybody else we come to you God himself we worship you as the God of peace and we thank you that we can commit each other to your peace and your power because this is your work
The text goes on to say, sanctify you through and through. Through and through talks about the extent of this work being done in our lives to make us holy, transforming us into the image of Christ, to being more like him in our character. Not just in some aspects, but in every aspect. Lord, help us to have an eternal perspective like Jesus and to see things in the light of that awesome option of eternity. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus in moral purity. Help us, Lord, despite all the other interests that we have, to be loving like Jesus in a selfless, sacrificial way. Help us this week, Lord, to daily take up our burden and deny ourselves. The text goes on to say, your whole spirit and soul and body. That means everything about us, our inner life, as well as our bodily life, our thoughts, our imagination. Paul elsewhere talks about the lusts of the mind as well as the lusts of the flesh. Lord, help us as we reflect upon your word. Help us, Lord, to know by your spirit the things in our lives which need to be dealt with and put right. Lord, we can't pretend that we're perfectly like Jesus. You know us and know that we're not. So help us this week, Lord, to take this seriously. And the text says to be kept blameless. To be kept because we already belong to God. We already are purchased by the blood of Jesus. But we have to be kept for him. Kept from bad company. Kept from the wrong things to read, the wrong things to watch, <laughs> kept from the false gods of pride and materialism and greed. Lord, there's so much to blame in us and we're not blameless. We pray that you'll give us the strength of the Lord Jesus in his victories to become our victories. Lord, we pray that you will help us to deal with those thoughts which are wrong for us as Christians and the things which are only going to come between us and a better life for you. And the word speaks about our being kept until 
the coming of our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming. Thank you that your church will be complete. Thank you that individuals will be made fit to meet Jesus face to face. We thank you, Lord, for those who have gone ahead of us into your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the confidence we have that when he appears, we shall be like him. Lord, we are glad that one day the battle will be over. But Lord, we, we are so aware that this is impossible for us, that we are, we are praying for each other now. And the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. We bless you, Lord, that you are a faithful God, faithful to your plans to make us like Jesus and to make us holy. We thank you, God, for this simple promise that he will do it. Lord, we can't do it ourselves, but you can and you will, and we praise you, and you worship and adore you, that one day the heavens will resound with the praise of the God who has made us a holy people, fit to praise and honour you in eternity. May we read this text together now aloud as we close the service. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.